anxiety Maybe you have it too If so, you're not alone They're spiraling just like you We're ready. Hello. Hi. This is spiraling. Oh, wait. We should put oh, our, turn off our phones. Turn off our telephones. Um, airplane, silent. I left mine in the other room on purpose. Great. <laughs> Great. That's the best part about podcasting is like no phone. No phone. One Uninterrupted. On one yep. One-on-one -on -one bonding time for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, uh, again, I said this a lot last week and I'll say it again. This is all a ploy to spend time with you. This is just a big trick. This isn't about you listening. This is about us. That's right. That's right. So I think we should dive right into our spirals because I've got a big one and not to be selfish. Great. Oh, I'm excited. I think you should probably go first lest I am unable to contain my spiral. Okay. Welcome back to spiraling. Here we go jumping into the tornadoes of spirals that we've yes. had this week. I've had several, but I'll I'll just keep mine to a small-ish one. But again, they don't they never the point of spirals is that they never feel small in your mind. No, and they also start small. Right. And then they take in exactly. more and more and exactly. more until they can tear down your house. Mine is making me very like even saying it out loud I'm I'm already embarrassed. I don't want to say it, but that's the whole point of this that is, is barrier soul. There's no judgment here, which we'd covered at length last week. And last week, update on my spiral from last week, Ooh, which yes. was about like friends not texting me back. I well, I'll save this for the highs because it comes <laughs> it comes into the highs. <laughs> so, you know. Fair. Save it. All right. Coming soon. My spiral for the week, I think I said this last week, heightened emotional state, feeling kind of vulnerable about, you know, being kind of in this post-breakup haze and just being, you know, feeling kind of fragile-ish. Everything is, you know, intense. So when you get a pimple, it's like oh, the worst no. thing in the world. But this is like a more embarrassing than usual pimple. Okay. Uh, also, Where was self, it? First of all, she has zero pimples right now. Well, this is the complicated thing. <laughs> I'm self-conscious that I may have everything seasoning in my teeth. Oh, because do I? Is that why you're self-conscious? Um, a little bit, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> that was like also the smoothest way to tell someone they have something in their teeth. I wasn't teeth. even going to tell you till I left oh here. Because I was like, it doesn't matter. Wait, you got you it. did you wait to tell me last time? I'm pretty sure, yeah, you, you did, did that. <laughs> do I still have I can't see it. No, I'm you got it. it. You the actually got is, it. Okay, also, just full disclosure... I got Invisalign like five years ago, maybe. And ever since, I think because my teeth are so close together now, I cannot eat any food without it getting stuck in my teeth. And every time I eat with Logan, he's like, you have something in your teeth or he picks it out, which I know a lot of people think is gross. He doesn't do it in public. But he's like, how do you eat when I'm not around? He's like, do you check before you go anywhere or talk to anyone? I'm like, no. So that leads me to believe that I spend my entire life with food in my teeth. <laughs> well, you could pull it off and it would be cute. But <laughs> it's a thing, you guys. My 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 thing is like, I wasn't going to leave here without telling you had it, but I was just like, for now, it's fine because it's just me. <laughs> I don't care. Thank you for loving but me But the anyway. snack we had was very great. I cut up carrots for Katie and put everything but the bagel seasoning on them. Which, which is I my never had. And it is not, it is not overhyped. It was a lovely and seasoning. I served them to her with tea, like a, the sophisticated lady that we're, I am. We're having an afternoon snack. It's been a delight. Okay, back to yes. undelightful things. 
my spiral. Okay, so this is the part that gets interesting. It wasn't on my face. Oh. <laughs> this pimple. I had. It was basically okay. It's first of all, it's right here. I'm wearing a shirt that covers it up. It was like on my chest. This is so gross. This Not is the part gross. that's like chest so thing. embarrassing. Oh, I don't <laughs> have it. I never get it. And here's the thing: it wasn't really a pimple. It was like a glorified goosebump. But I was like itching it. And so I started picking it and picking it. And it's, it wasn't even, I honestly, it might not have even been a pimple. It was like a goosebump, but I started picking it. I'm going to just like show you right now, but I, you gave, Serena gave me a face mask last week. And <laughs> so I put, put some on? of that on it and I was like, well, then no one can kind of see it. So it's like all over the face mask right now. I mean, that was a very I feel like smart it move. Yeah. It's definitely going to help. Also, it's, it's very red. Yeah. Cause I picked it. No, i I don't know if that's a zit. Also, that's in such a convenient place. Not to belittle your spiral. I completely understand. But then I was like, I called, I have this holistic dermatologist who I love who did my <laughs> podcast and I called her office and I was like, should I come in? Should I like, I, I scar very easily. I was like, this is going to be a tattoo for the rest of my life. Were you afraid that it was <sighs> something like more insidious than a pimple? No, I, I don't even, it's, it's more about the scarring. It's like, I have done damage on my skin mm. that w because I am a picker, like I pick when I get a pimple, I instantly want to pick it because it, and it's like, it's a control thing. It's like, then it will go away or I at least, and it never makes it go away quick, more quickly. It makes it bigger and more red and scar. But in my mind, it's like, I'm doing something. And so, yeah. So I, how do you think this pimple like ties into your anxiety, so to speak? Here we go. This is it. So ever since, so I'm, I've been kind of having like lots of things happening at once where lots of newness happening at once. So I'm, I've been having to, I've had a different spiral of sorts of kind of like a back spiral with a lot of my old eating disorder stuff coming up and having to like work with the dietitian again and work on eating more because that's kind of where my my anxiety goes to controlling food and I can get, I'm very good at it and I'll eat some very small amounts and I'll, which I know is not healthy for me, but I had been doing as a bad coping mechanism and I stopped doing and I was like very cognizant of that. And then the other side of that is my body changes and my, and this has happened to me like many times before and I go up in size. And so then I feel uncomfortable with my body and that's jarring. And so then it makes me focus more on my skin because then it's like, well, if my body's changing um. and it's all about like, what people think of me. And if I'm not like, it's, it's me trying to control what people think of me and trying to be okay with myself. And so it's like, if my body's changing and I'm feeling uncomfortable with my work, all I've got is my skin and like my skin needs to be perfect or like, and it's you all ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And like, so anyway, so then I think I've been going to the dermatologist <laughs> a lot and I've been like, I've been like getting, I've just been, yeah, all my anxiety has been pooling in this very, weird spot and and weirdly it's like kind of where I feel my anxiety is like in this area yes <laughs> of my tightness in my chest tangential question yeah. regarding doctors and anxiety did you tell your dermatologist that you are an anxious person yes and she was she knows all about my breakup she knows <laughs> all about all of the things and she was honestly I called that day and she was like Oh, she, whenever people call, I think I've maybe told you this, whenever people call me sweetie or honey, like I really like that people who are older than me, it makes me feel very cozy and I enjoy it. Do you hate that? I, yes. It's like a personal, I think it's weird because 
I grew up in California and now that I'm in only in, uh-huh. in New York have I found myself being sort of hardened and jaded. But yes, like I am not a sweetie honey person. I'm not either to say, but when it, but if it's an older person, mm-hmm. okay, that's fair. Yeah, someone much older than me. It feels condescending me. when it's somebody my own age. Totally, totally. Yeah, I don't really like that either. But this is the the lady who works at the desk who knows me very well now. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's my best she's friend. She's my mom. Um, <laughs> she was like, oh, sweetie, you should just put this cream on it and it'll be okay and don't worry. And like, you're going to be, and just her telling me I was okay. Instantly, I was like, all right, I'm doing the best I can. It's going to be okay. Because I think what I, what where the reason it was making me anxious is it's like, it wasn't just a pimple. It was what I made it. It was that it's going to be here forever. That mm-hmm. it's going to like, this is a scar that's going to be there. Because I do, honestly, my skin scars very easily. Yeah. So I'm like, there's going to be redness here forever. And I already, like we, as we covered at length last week, I already feel uncomfortable about all of these other aspects of my appearance from yeah. my nose to my hair to my size to all of these things. It's like, I don't need another thing I hate about myself, this pimple. And, and it was in my, and I was mad at myself for picking it. Like, I was just like, if I would have just left it alone, it would be gone by now. And now I'm going to have to like deal with this and think about it and pick different clothes based on, and it, and it honestly, it affected like my day because I, I woke up feeling bad about this, like checking if it was still there. And then being like, oh, yeah, still there. And then just like, <laughs> you're on, then it like, you're already on a down. And it was harder for me to like, be productive that day and get it sounds so silly no but it's not and that's the thing about anxiety is all it can be one of these little things but the extremely frustrating thing about the anxious mind is like we fixate so it could be a pimple it could be a text like we talked about it could be something giant that we deem more worthy of our anxiety but at the end of the day it's all the same to our brain it's just a way for us to I don't know. It's like the thing that the anxiety latches onto and then it it spirals out of control. Yes. <laughs> but did you have is this a happy are you still in the spiral or do we have a happy ending here? Or I is, mean, it's still there. So I'm going to be I'm going to be upset about it until I can't see it anymore, which I don't know when that'll be. It'll probably be red for like at least a week or so. So it's not, I'm not thrilled about it, but I've, I've been able to like, <laughs> this one didn't take me out. You know, I was yes. able to like, <laughs> I was able to like move through my day, but I'm just, I'm mostly disappointed. Like, and, and it's a big, like the things I tend to spiral about a lot are things that I feel like I could have controlled. Like I could have not picked this. I could have done something di- like it's it kind of like regret for me. Yeah. I think that's the muscle though, that we have to continue to work out as like, just being nicer to ourselves and just being like, yeah, you could have not picked it, but you did. So fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and you might have a little like, scar. You're, and you're okay. Fine. You're not any less than because you picked yours it or because yeah. you might have a scar now. And that's sort of the refrain that I, I have to tell myself all the fucking time. I'm like, it's okay. It's literally, I want to get like, it's okay. Tattooed on my hand. Yeah. So what would you, what would you do if you were me or if you had a, a skin thing? Do you just try it? Like, how do you pivot? Um, I, well, we have opposite approaches because mm. I never touch my skin. So, so I wander around with giant whiteheads <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, oh that's so good. Rat it out, bitch. <laughs> just because if I touch it, I often, especially on your face, you never get everything out. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm just going to end up maybe making it worse, probably infecting it, going to get a scab, whatever. But that doesn't necessarily make I, – but like, I don't get super anxious about skin stuff. I mostly just feel very annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> but I completely relate. Again, this is something that I think comes up over and over. It's like with everybody's anxiety being so specific and – I think that's so intelligent that you've been able to tie this zit to what's been going on with regards to certain eating disorder behaviors resurfacing and being like, a lot of this is playing out on my chest zit right now. Yeah. First of all, the word chest zit, like, (laughs) you guys, I don't, I want to be clear about like, not that that if anyone has a chest chest zit, that's that's fine. And honestly, I mean, who am I to judge? But I don't, I really think it was like a goosebump that I like itched. Okay. But either way, that's very helpful and useful. A, I'm going to walk around and not try to not pick my zits because that's that's the that could be a whole different podcast. Yes. Like, don't pick your skin ever. Nobody take that idea. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> it, and it's such a good thing of like just ride it out and wait. Just ride it patience. Out. It's like a lesson in patience. It 100% is. It's a metaphor for so many things. Yeah. Thank you, Katie, for sharing yes. your chest. <laughs> Oh my God, I hate that word so much. Okay, now I'm ready for your anxiety. That was oh, not supposed to take as long man. as it did. Okay, so just a tiny bit of backstory. I've been working alone since I graduated from culinary school. I mean, yes, technically I've had bosses when I was private chefing and stuff, but ultimately I've been my own boss for a long time and I haven't really had any help. Uh, and then in November... I hired my first employee to be, I don't even like to call her my assistant because she does so many things Mm -hmm. and she is more than that. Collaborator. Collaborator. Yeah. Um, And she pitched me. I wasn't actually thinking of hiring anyone despite the fact that I, I clearly needed help, which I think she read (laughs) was like, I can help you out. But For a long time, I was like, I don't think I should hire anyone because I'm going to micromanage them. I'm not sure how helpful it would be. I I can't really afford to pay anyone a salary right now. I can just keep doing all of this by myself. And then Patty came along and pitched herself, and I was blown away by her and like, yes, let's do this. So we've sort of been having a lot of discussions about compensation recently. And this week, she I told her to think about it and figure out what she thought was a fair hourly rate. And then we're also negotiating, you know, brand partnership commissions, et cetera, things like that. And she came back to me with an hourly rate that I thought was fair, but I can't afford, like just flat out cannot afford. And so I had to be like, look, like this is what I can afford. And ultimately I do not want my business operating at a loss. That makes no sense. Totally. Um, But it was the right decision professionally to be like, look, no, this is what I'm going to pay you. And you can take that or leave that, but that's what I'm able to pay. And she, we had a wonderful discussion about it. I'm actually very proud of myself on that front. But the spiral comes in in that I, at my deepest core, am a people pleaser. And so being like you telling somebody, you asked me for this, I genuinely feel you deserve that salary, but I can't give it to you was made me feel so anxious because then I immediately started spiraling being like, 
Does she feel undervalued? Is she fulfilled in this job? Which, you know, I asked, but again, you're never going to get a fully honest answer from somebody that you're employing. And I was like, did I make the wrong decision taking her on in the first place? If I can't pay her what she's worth is, and then it made me reconsider everything. And I was like, are you being lazy? Could you be doing her job by yourself? Like, do you actually need her? And are you forcing her to do a job that is like sort of menial and boring and not fulfilling for her and then also not paying her enough? Cause that's a double. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. fuck you. <laughs> and I just, I'm it's coming fire. out of it today, but it was not pleasant. And I sort of leading up to a work session that we were having yesterday afternoon, I like actually sort of practiced out loud how I was going <laughs> to lay all of this out in a way that felt articulate and expressed how much I valued her. Yeah, And I think these are difficult you know, this is stuff I spiral about a lot professionally. It's just how much am I worth? How much are other people worth? How do you make people feel valued while also standing up for yourself? It's just a perpetual source of anxiety for me in my professional life. And I don't really have any profound (laughs) things to say I think collaborating and managing people is complicated because everybody has their best interest. And then there's kind of like the third thing, which is the business. Like there's you, there's her, and then there's the business of, you know, what you're trying to create together. But you have to just remember that like, first of all, she pitched you and wants to be, whether the person pitched you or not, like they want to be working with you. And then having that conversation and just being as honest, like you, it would have felt worse if you started to just be like, okay, yeah, I'll pay you whatever, whatever. And then like, think <laughs> that like, I can't pay my yeah, own bills. And spiral about that. Like that would have gone, you would have had to like eventually let her go because you're in the red and the business is closing. Yes. So it's like, you could only do, you did what you could do. It doesn't make it less uncomfortable or annoying, but it was the only uh, knowing in your mind that like, this is annoying, but it's the best and only option is already comforting. Yeah. I also think it's an interesting, it was a very interesting experience in being vulnerable and having to be honest Mm -hmm. about the fact that I'm like, I don't have that much money in my bank account that I can afford to give you this amount of money. And I think that given that money is a very taboo subject to begin with, I was just very overwhelmed going into that. And then afterwards was like, that was another part of the spiral. I was like, like, does she think less of me now because I am not as financially successful as she thought I was, yeah. you know? So there's that element too. It's a com- it's such a complicated thing. I had a similar experience last, last week myself where I had, we have this call every week with the two people that are my collaborators. And I was on the phone with Megan and Megan and Amanda. And I was like, I need us to all be very 
mindful of our time because I think one of them had mentioned that they spent, they were like, oh, I spent an hour on on this thing and I couldn't get it done. And then I had to end up asking someone else how to do it. And I was like, you spent an hour? I'm paying for this hour? And yeah. like, why did you do it? And I was like upset. So I took, I wasn't my best self. I was feeling just probably my chested or something <laughs> weird. And I took that out on like, I wasn't maybe my best self in this call or as articulate as I'm sure you were, but being like, let's all be very focused on the way we're spending our time. And that felt so vulnerable to talk about the budget and the money. But I think as people leading a team and people having a company, you have to just, you have to be vulnerable about the budget and the money because it's not fun. It's way more fun to be like, yeah, we can afford that. Let's invest here. Let's do that. Yeah. But you have to be, that has to become the first thing above all of the other fun, shiny things, you know, is like yeah. what you can afford. So how did the, how did the conversation go and how'd you feel after? I told her that I was going to take a few days to do a deep dive into my current finances. I told her what I thought was a fair hourly rate. And I also told her that we, like you just said, needed to be extremely mindful of the hours that she was actually working. And if they exceeded a certain number of hours, then I would have to look at what she was doing and be like, okay, I'm going to take that off your plate so that you can yeah. focus on these more important things and keep your hours at a more reasonable level. Prioritize. Exactly. And then I told her I would also think about, you know, discussing commission and other ways in which I could supplement that hourly rate. And I feel okay about it. But sometimes with, you know, a spiral like that, when it gets large, I feel really tired today. My yeah. nervous system is just sort of shocked because I was, that's, I physically experience anxiety. So I feel just sort of sweaty and that the chemicals in your stomach, I sort of feel it in the tightness in my chest. Yeah. And then after that passes, I feel really tired. <laughs> that's Oh my gosh. I am so happy you're saying that because I'm feeling really tired these last couple of days just because of a plethora of spirals that I've had. Yeah. It's and exhausting. I it's didn't literally know, exhausting. I didn't know why, much like I didn't know what anxiety was till recently. I didn't Which, know why I was so tired. This is a perfect segue yeah, to what exactly. we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Which is, I think, a combination of the vulnerability that we were just talking yeah. about and not knowing that a side effect of anxiety is actually anxiety. Um, and so basically what we want to discuss is the language surrounding anxiety, right? I mean, just going over the basics, I think recognizing anxiety for both of us was kind of easy. Like we knew what was happening. Mm -hmm. In my case, I had a therapist be like, you are having panic attacks. In your case, you just sort of figured it out because you've seen enough of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I talked about this last week, but like I heard a therapist talking about anxiety and enough people talking about anxiety. And I was like, this checks out. And then a therapist said to me, you have anxiety. But <laughs> so that, that I guess was, a, but I, think, I got anointed. With yeah. It. But I think for the most part, we also see a lot of people around us, whether that's our family or friends or people online who are struggling with anxiety and haven't yet named it anxiety and aren't actually sure of what they're struggling with and don't have the language to describe 
their anxiety to themselves or to the people around them. Um, and they just, because they don't have that language, they think that something is wrong with them or that they are the only person <laughs> that feels that way. And that breaks my heart because I think obviously like, we know this for a fact, so many people are anxious. So we just thought it would be really helpful to talk to each other about the language that we built around our own anxiety and both in how we talk to ourselves and how we talk to others. And I think Katie is slightly more of an anxiety newbie than I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have like a decade anxiety of baby. practicing this. Yeah. Um, you are very articulate in general, but especially with anxiety and the way that you talk about it publicly in your work. And then also I know with Logan and with other people in your life, so what are what are maybe the main what are your kind of your main anxiety language tips, I guess? I think first of all we have to break it into two sections mm -hmm. and I think one is like the self talk element because before you really know what anxiety is, it's very hard for you to talk to yourself. And that sounds so weird, but literally one of the most helpful things that I do in the day-to-day -to, -day to manage my anxiety is when I feel the physical symptoms or the mental symptoms, but I have a lot of physical anxiety symptoms of my generalized anxiety, or if I have a panic attack, I'm able to say to myself, you're having a panic attack. You have felt this before. That tingling in your palms is anxiety. The tightness in your chest is anxiety that feeling of like the total loss of control in your brain is anxiety. You know this, you know that you are not dying, which I literally will be like, you are not dying today. <laughs> but I'm like, you're not dying and you will get through this. You always come out the other side. But to come up with that, you know, simple spiel that's basically a lecture to myself I had to have a lot of panic attacks and I had to be anxious a lot because to develop that language early on is impossible. Because when you have your first panic attack, you've got 8 million questions, you know, 99 of which are just, what the fuck? And you have no concept of what is happening to your brain or your body. And you definitely don't assume it's a panic attack. Like we talked about last week, my first panic attack, I was like, I'm not really sure if you're having a heart attack, maybe a stroke, like there's something. But you're definitely that, dying. You're definitely <laughs> dying. And I still, because I no longer have regular panic attacks, I more have just generalized anxiety. I still will have the occasional panic attack and be like, oh no, this is it. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is definitely it. <laughs> and it's never it. But I think that if you have, Early on, I had a lot of panic attacks on the reg. I mean, that's the point of a panic attack, to make you panic. To make you panic, exactly. And you go straight into that mm -hmm. fight or flight mode. But by like my fifth panic attack, I was like, okay, like I recognize this. And you really do just start to anticipate what's going to happen next, which is not helpful. And anticipatory anxiety is part of a panic disorder. But you're like, oh, the chest is closing. Next is going to come the arm pain. I'm going to start sweating soon. You know, like it's a, it's you, but almost being able to say that to yourself being like, 
this is phase one panic attack and phase two is coming and then we're going to go into phase three. And if you can lie down, eventually you're when I have bad panic attacks, like I just said how it's so exhausting for your nervous mm-hmm. system, I will get in the fetal position. I will lie in the dark. I don't like to be touched. And often I will fall asleep when it's over because I'm so exhausted. And I'm like, I can tell myself that be like, just lie here. It will either pass or you will fall asleep soon. <laughs> you are literally exhausting your body right now. But I think being able to tell yourself what's happening and that you will get through it is step one. Then you enter the horrible phase of why am I like this? Which is arguably the worst part of struggling with anxiety is I think in my personal case, I had a lot of guilt surrounding my anxiety because in theory, everything in my life is great. Um, I have, when I first developed anxiety, I was single, but like I had amazing friends. I have a lovely family. I have, you know, enough money that I don't have to worry about money. I had enough food that I was not worried about food, like all of these normal things. Like I didn't actually have anything to quote unquote worry about. And so I felt extreme guilt and shame that I couldn't get my shit together. Like, why can't you just pull it together? Why can't you just calm down? Why can't you stop having these panic attacks? And I did that for a solid year, like really got down on myself and It was ultimately my therapist who really helped me turn that negative self-talk into, I wouldn't go so far as to say positive, but more like accepting, being like, you have no control over this. And if you had some other sort of medical condition, which anxiety is, and, you know, you couldn't physically do something would you every day be like why are you like this (laughs) why can't you just get up out of your wheelchair and walk like that's a crazy thing you would never say that to yourself and I was able to sort of make that shift and say okay you are just like this you are not your anxiety but it is a part of your life and Ultimately, you can do things to help manage it, although you can't really ever control it. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people out there that are just like you and are doing their best and are still having panic attacks. And this, these are people that are incredibly successful and happy and have wonderful full lives. And then there are also people who have really devastating shitty lives and we all experience the same thing it anxiety is completely indiscriminate it doesn't care about you know race or socioeconomic status or your ha- your baseline happiness level it just is and so i think those two things of being like this is anxiety you are not dying. You are going to get through this. And also being like, you are not weak or damaged because you have to go through this. And those were like the two self, you know, talk, you know, languagey things that took me a long time to learn. And I think that that's something that we all have to practice. I mean, where are you right now in terms of like, you clearly made it through step one because you know 
what your anxiety is. Yeah. But I feel like you still are in a little bit of the guilt phase. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, first of all, that was so helpful and you're so articulate. And it's just, you know, the whole point of us doing this is to make people feel less alone. And it makes me feel less alone just to talk about the fact that anxiety doesn't discriminate and it's everywhere. And I think, too, especially if you have – there are a lot of people who aren't anxious. who And then when you spend time with them, it's easy to compare yourself. Yes. And I have a lot of people – and I've had a lot of people in my life who are more even and just don't experience anxiety. And then that was really hard for me because I'm like, why is this such a big deal for me? Why can't I just keep it together when this thing goes wrong or when this isn't how I wanted it to be? And the control piece too. Like I think anxiety is for me and probably you'll tell me for you too. And for everyone, it's like wanting to control something you can't control. Mm-hmm. And yeah, <laughs> that was like a weird grunt because I feel that on a visceral level. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's where like all neuroses come from is like us wanting to control the uncontrollable. The fact that like we all have things in our life that we want to make the outcome a certain way and we can't and that's uncomfortable. And so for me, I think when I feel anxiety or when I have a spiral, which I have lots, I try to now acknowledge like, okay, you're feeling uncomfortable. What can you do? Like, that's the big thing. I, I, I'm going to adopt your speech and make it my own as well. But I, I have a lot of generalized anxiety. I've had panic attacks before. I, I tend to faint. Like I have a lot really? of, like, yeah, which, which also is, a, I have a, um, I faint a lot. Um, yeah, I, I've done it since I was a kid though, or not a kid, but a, a teenager. I have very low blood pressure. Interesting. Um, yeah, so the way you were talking about when you have a panic attack, I've had the sim- a similar thing where I know when I know I'm going to faint, I'm like the first couple times it just like I went down and you know I could have hit my head whatever. But now it actually happened Monday night. I was like, "Oh, yep, here I am. I'm definitely going to faint. Like I know it's going to happen." So I was able cuz I'm like I don't no one's around this time I'm going to like I could hit my head and and get hurt. So I know how it feels in my body. I'm just like, this is what's happening. You're not dying. You're like, and I just sit down and get myself water. I like lay, I have to lay down. And so it's the same thing when I, when I've had a panic attack and when I'm just spiraling about something of being like, what can you do? Okay. You don't have enough time to do the things that you wanted to do. That's overwhelmed. Cause a big thing for me is overwhelm. It's like mm-hmm. not being able to get done the things I want to get done or, have enough time to do what I wanted to do. And so I panic and I'm like, well, then everything's a wash, you know, like <laughs> everything's horrible and bad. But instead now I'm trying to pivot quickly and be like, okay, what can you do in this allotted time? What would be the most relaxing? What would bring you joy? Like those are questions I'm asking myself and I'm just trying to like choose one thing and do one thing that will make me feel better. Wait, and I sometimes that. I can't. I, some, I also think that's, an yeah. important thing is like sometimes you can't and that's the where the language yeah. comes in it's like you've already tried everything yeah and that's the worst just ride it out yeah and that's and sucks. that's that really sucks yeah <laughs> but we do always come out the other side yeah this is gonna sound kind of weird and like i'm not really when this is interesting that this didn't come up last week or i don't think we covered this when you did my podcast of like spirituality and mm-hmm. i'm not really we can talk about that too, but I've been, it's kind of in a spiritual way being like, I can't control. It's almost like a prayer to be like, 
this is really hard. Please, whatever's out there, like, yeah. let it pass. Like, I've almost been, like, praying in a weird way lately because I've been having a lot of anxiety, like, especially in the evenings where I'll just feel, like, really sad and lonely. But – and I'll just, like, let myself cry. All right. Like, the other day, I, like, got into bed, and I, I was listening to this song that just, like, made me cry and reminded me of things that made me sad. And I just cried, and I just let it happen. And it came out of me just like I was blowing my nose, and I got it all out. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to have to blow my nose again, but, like, I got it out that time. And on the other side of that, I was laughing and happy, and, yeah. like, it was okay. And then again, I felt sad again. And <laughs> just like knowing that things are cyclical and knowing that you'll get through it. And weirdly, my ex-boyfriend gave me this line that he heard in a podcast, but it I find it really helpful. It's like a, a mantra or something that I think he heard in like a comedy podcast, but just saying to yourself, this is hard, but I can handle it. Yes. And I really like that. I love that. Yeah. That was very profound. And now I want to ask, <laughs> what was the song? <laughs> oh, God. Well, okay. Anything Sufjan Stevens just like really oh takes me out right now. Yeah. For whatever reason, mine is colorblind by the counting crows. If I need to like, if I need to have a good cry, it reminds me of that scene in Cruel Intentions. I'm just trying to lighten the mood right now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know, he comes up the escalator. I mean, she, Reese Witherspoon comes up the escalator and Ryan Phillippe or whatever is waiting at the top and they're playing counting crows. Anyway, this is a, ridiculous tangent but everybody please watch cruel intentions and let's if you don't together. let's watch okay, okay great yes Popcorn? okay the obviously. thing that i want yeah <laughs> serena let's talk about your favorite cbd brand highline wellness i am legitimately a highline wellness's biggest fangirl not remotely ashamed to admit it so i'm extremely pumped that they are sponsoring this episode first things first i'll give you a little backstory Highline Wellness is a New York City-based CBD brand, so they're local to us, who's on a mission to make the world a more pleasant place one dose at a time. They provide natural, affordable, and effective CBD supplements to give everyone access to a happier, healthier, and more peaceful state of mind and body, which like, how wonderful does that sound? Very. They have a bunch of products. They make gummies, or they're officially called chews, pain cream, oil, and dog treats. Love that. <laughs> Makes me want to get a dog. But I'm particularly partial to the gummies, which are small batch CBD chews that are 10 milligrams of all natural CBD that sort of release throughout the day for on the go relief. 10 milligrams happens to be my ideal dosage. So I really lucked out, but everyone can find their own dosage. You may just want to take one, you could take two. I use the gummies to help manage my anxiety. They are like the number one management tool in my arsenal. The oil is also great. I think I was originally drawn to the gummies when I was introduced to Highline six over six months ago now by a friend just because I have a gummy candy fetish. But we both do in this podcast do. family. <laughs> <laughs> but the drops are amazing. I've sort of found for me, the gummies are great for like sustained calm throughout the day. And then the drops are sort of faster acting or that's that's my personal opinion. So I'll sometimes take them before bed. They sort of relax you. But the wonderful thing is I just feel this mellow sense of calm, but I don't feel dulled at all, which is great. Like I have the same amount of energy. I feel sharp as a tack. It's just like this general sense of relief when I feel the anxiety creeping in. That's ideal. And Serena recently gave me some of their 
pain cream, which yes. was many, Katie's many, my ailments many ailments in the last six months. It's been a dream. So there's many ways to use these products. You can be like Serena and keep <laughs> bottles in every room of your apartment. We're sitting in her living room right now recording this. And there are three visible bottles in my sight line in this room alone. <laughs> or you can just pop them in your bag, which is what I usually do, or keep them at your desk for while you're working for some midday relief or on your nightstand to ease your mind before a good night's sleep. And that's what my husband does. He keeps both drops and gummies on the bedside table and takes them before bed. And they just, they don't put you to sleep. Like I said, they're completely non-drowsy, but they just relax your mind so that it's easier to fall asleep, which is lovely. Ideal. There are so many brands of CBD out there. So it, many. It's deeply Every day overwhelming. 10 there, more, I think. And it's so hard to find one that you trust. Not all CBD is created equal. Highline has hundreds of five-star reviews from people raving about its effects. I swear I did not write all of them. <laughs> and they use broad-spectrum CBD, no THC, and that is third-party tested to confirm. So with that, there's a common misconception that CBD can get you high, but we are here to tell you that Highline products absolutely will not. They're completely non-psychoactive. We swear. We both hate being high. <laughs> I'm like a terrible high person, so I would never have gone near Highline products if there was a remote chance that I would get high. Highline Chews and all of their CBD products are also legal to consume and travel with domestically, so you never need to fear the TSA and the dogs walking around in there. <laughs> Which I'm always terrified of, and I get so many questions about whether you can travel with Highline products, and it never crossed my mind that you like couldn't, but... You could probably give one of those dogs a CBD treat. (laughs) Exactly. So you can absolutely travel with your Highline products, and you should. I always do. So, I mean, as you can see, Highline is the best. I am obsessed with their products. They've been such a game changer for me on the anxiety front. I can't recommend them highly enough. I now cannot imagine my life without them. So if you want to get in on this awesome CBD action and start feeling like, a cooler, calmer, happier version of yourself. You can order the chews, drops, pain cream, and the aforementioned dog treats at highlinewellness.com and your products will be shipped directly to your doorstep. There's also free and fast two-day shipping available. That's amazing. And you can get 15% off your next order on highlinewellness.com by using the promo code spiraling15. That's highlinewellness.com and the promo code is spiraling15. I'm going to use that. Thank you so much, Highline. <laughs> do it. Everyone do it. The thing that I want to touch on is when you mentioned comparing mm-hmm. yourself to people who don't have anxiety. Yeah. I think that that is very natural. But I also think what's so interesting is that brings up like the second half of the discussion is how do you talk to the quote unquote like not anxious people in your life that matter to you and explain to them your anxiety. I mean, because at the end of the day, I don't think anybody that's never experienced anxiety can ever fully understand. They're just not capable. They can try and they can want to so badly. And I think that's one of the extreme difficulties in being in a relationship where one person is anxious and the other person is not. And I think that sort of practicing how to explain your anxiety, even though you can't literally explain it in a way 
they'll just never be able to empathize, but they can sympathize if you can explain it enough. Mm-hmm. So like the actual physical symptoms, how you feel about like anxiety when you're not anxious and how they can help you. These are all things that I get messages about a lot from people who are like, I am not anxious, but I am in a relationship with somebody who's who's anxious yeah. and I want to help them and I don't know what to do. Yeah. I wonder if people listening to this will have people who are, this could be a helpful resource for people who aren't anxious, but are around people who are anxious to actually, this could be like a stimulator. You know, they have those Alzheimer's stimulators. Have you heard of these? Where you go and you're like, they, they do all these things to impair your, your vision and your remembering and whatever to stimulate the feeling of Alzheimer's. I feel like spiraling as a concept, our podcast could be that for people to like, when you hear the crazy stuff we're spiraling (laughs) over week after week after week and what we've experienced, maybe it could give someone insight of what this is actually like for someone who just like can go through life cool as a cucumber. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> jealous yeah i would like to listen to that <laughs> podcast and i'd like that to be no but i think i am in that relationship i yeah. logan does not have anxiety i was very open with him from the very beginning because when we started dating i think i was probably a year and a half into my super fun new panic disorder <laughs> <laughs> and i was really still figuring out myself And I did not have a good handle on it. It took me a long time to get a decent handle on things. And so it was... What did not having a handle on it look like? I would have very severe... I had very severe panic attacks on a regular basis for like almost two years, like a year and a half. And I would have zero triggers. So that was the scary part is I would be mid conversation in a nice restaurant with Logan on a date and having so much fun and then be physically unable to speak. And I was like, Oh God. And because I was feeling that way, I would be trying to drink water. I would be trying to calm myself down to salvage the situation. But there were definitely situations in which I was like, I'm so sorry we have to leave. And just to preempt those situations, I was, I had to explain to him off the bat, like, I have severe anxiety. I am still figuring out how to manage it. This is how I experience it. Like, I described my physical and mental symptoms. When I first started having anxiety, I didn't actually have a lot of spiraling. I just had physical symptoms. Uh, and I was like, I still have regular fear that I'm dying, even though I know that I'm not. Uh, I was like, it feels terrifying. And I just want you to know that if I can't speak, I don't want you to think it's because I'm mad at you or I am being, I mean, it, there. I hate to use the word weird because nobody with anxiety is weird, but you feel weird. Yeah. I felt fucking weird. I was like, <laughs> I don't want you to think I'm a freak because I just am telling you a joke and then all of a sudden am unable to make words. Like, I also need you to understand that when I am panicking, I am going to need to lie down pretty much immediately. I'm also going to need you not to touch me because I hate being touched. And I didn't actually say the touching part until he touched you. 
Yeah, I think I let that happen though for like a couple months. And yeah. I was like, I'm so sorry I didn't say something before. And I think that's part of gaining confidence in a relationship. Yeah, I was just like, this doesn't feel right. Like he would try to spoon me or hug me or something because that, and that is very helpful for some people. So if there's anybody that's listening that is not anxious and is with somebody that's anxious, you have to ask them. I think that if they would, like that is helpful for me. Touch. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm so sorry I didn't say this sooner. And it's not that I was letting you touch me and just enduring it. I was trying to figure out if it was helpful or not helpful. And I have discerned <laughs> after much cuddling to like, get the fuck off of me. I can't yeah. take this. That and had to be a really hard thing to say though. It was, yes. And I was like, but it has nothing to do with you. And I will say just for the sake of full disclosure, Logan is like the most secure human being ever. So he was like, oh, okay. Like <laughs> it never would have occurred to him. But it was like, oh, like maybe it's me. She doesn't yeah. like touching her. It's just like, sweet. I will not touch you anymore. <laughs> but Maybe he should have a podcast because I need to learn how to be that secure. <laughs> should. Maybe we should have him on. Yeah. But I think that once I was able to be like, I don't really like to be touched. I don't want to talk about it because I think that is every partner's inclination to be like, how can I help? Yes. Let's talk about this. And the truth is, is when you're panicking, sometimes with a spiral, I do enjoy a good combo. Mm -hmm. But in if I'm having a panic attack or I'm having just like severe generalized anxiety that is triggered by nothing, I'm like, I got nothing to talk about. Got nothing to say here. <laughs> I'm like, I just need you to allow me to be anxious in peace. And you know, also do all of the things that I like to do to calm my anxiety, which is, you know, runs the gamut from making myself calcium, magnesium to going to work out or to lying on my bathroom floor. It really just depends what I'm in the mood yeah. for that time. <laughs> but I think being able to articulate that is huge. And I think that we talked about this when I did your podcast, but at the end of the day, it is not easy to be in a relationship with somebody with anxiety if you do not have anxiety. With that said, and this is probably the sappiest thing I've ever said in my life and will ever say again. <laughs> if someone is your person or I don't know, I don't like to say the one, but like whatever, it, it won't matter to them. It's just part of who you are because we are not defined by our anxiety as one part of who we are. And this always makes me cry. <laughs> Oh my God, you are going to make me cry again. I cannot look at you. <laughs> but it's true. Because I think, like, tell me how you communicated your anxiety to Nick. Well, I, much like you, went into the relationship having, I would say, re recovered from, I, I'd been in therapy extensively at that point for about six years. Yeah, about six years of eating disorder recovery. So I really was like had drunk the Kool-Aid in terms of health at every size and learning about spotting the signs of an eating disorder and giving that to a partner. And I had had very similar conversations as we're having right now about anxiety about eating disorder recovery with a mentor of mine, Christy Harrison. And I remember her telling me like when she met her now husband, what that conversation, just like you described with Logan, like when to tell your partner that you are someone who has an eating disorder. 
And so very early on, I had I had that conversation with Nick where I was like, this is a thing that's happened in my life. It will always kind of be with me. It's just a thing that I have and I'm in a really good spot with it right now. Things are great. This is this is who I am, you know? And and also it helped that like I had kind of emoted about that all over the internet for a very long time. <laughs> and I was, you know, like essentially like an eating disorder recovery advocate, you know? So yeah. like I told I had told this story before, so I felt very comfortable. It's easier to talk to strangers about these sorts of things, I think, than people in your real life. And so it was I was nervous about it, but he was so wonderful and great. And so that was a conversation I had. So then when I realized that like an eating disorder is just a symptom for other, it's where, you know, my anxiety kind of goes to, but it's a symptom for other mental health things. In my case, anxiety and things I hadn't even, depression and things I hadn't even realized were part of my temperament at that point. And so, you know, with us dating, when there were different triggers and then also not triggers, I would get upset about things and not know why I was upset. And I didn't know what was happening. And I'm such a in my head person, not in my body, that I would try, and I'm a verbal processor, that I would try to talk about it. And he he is too. We were very, very similar. We talked a lot to each other and he wanted, and he's a fixer. He wanted to just, and he's not anxious at all, much like Logan, just very even, very chill all the time. And I would always compare myself to that of like, why can't I, why am I so up and down? Why am I so emotional when, and that's the piece that's like complicated is like, we would be together and I would be upset and he wouldn't be upset, but we'd had the same experiences. Like I remember we went on vacation, we were in Arizona and I was so incredibly anxious and upset during this vacation. And I was like upset that I was upset. Mm-hmm. And I was upset that I was emotional. And he tried to do all of the right things. I just didn't know what to ask him to do. He tried to comfort me and hug me and give me what I needed. And that wasn't helping. And he tried to give me space. And then as soon as he gave me space, I was like, come back. I don't know. Like, I just didn't know. It was like Russian roulette of like, I don't know what will help me. And then finally I was able to pivot. But then I was so upset that it had taken so much time and I was so embarrassed. And that was kind of the theme of our relationship because especially us being long distance, it was like there was, it was in a pressure cooker of like, it's really hard to have these understandings when it's like, there's so much pressure for it to be good right now. I didn't feel like I could just go and be like, let me just chill. Tomorrow's a new day because like you're leaving tomorrow and I'm going to be by myself tomorrow. So a long distance relationship was like an anxious and non-anxious person. like worst nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was really, really hard. And I didn't, I didn't have the language and I didn't have, I didn't have the patience with myself to be like, this is what's happening it will be better because I was just like, you're an asshole right now for not just enjoying the vacation and being present with this person. Why are you freaked out about work or about nothing or about your body or about whatever? Like why? Are, like I was just so hard on myself and then I would just be so embarrassed and I would constantly apologize and apologize and apologize until I think he just developed compassion fatigue for me. I think that's such an interesting thing that you were you articulated so well what it feels like to be in an anxiety spiral 
in a relationship and being like, stop doing this. Just enjoy this moment. Like stop behaving like that. And it makes it worse and worse and worse. And I think that that's one of the hardest lessons to learn. And it took me so long and it's been such a source of relief for me to now be able to just ride bad patches out instead of trying to continuously self-correct and fix it because it ends up always making it worse. And once I unburdened myself by being like, "Mm, nope, like there is no fix and being open about that with Logan too and being like, sometimes there's no fix and it's really going to suck. And I'm preemptively sorry for that, but it's just part of my life. And I found my anxiety is a more manageable when I'm not always trying to think about how I can self-correct, but also when I am in a bad place, I find I get out of that place quicker when I just lean into it. It's like not picking a zit. It's yes. like, yes, it's I'm like, like, it's yes. gonna be gross for a couple days and then it's gonna go away. And it's, it's so funny because that's exactly what I do, that, except the opposite, where it's like, <laughs> I picked the zit because I'm like, if I pick it, then I can control it. It'll go away. At least I'm doing something, but it ends up being worse and it takes it takes longer to go away. And it's the same thing with anxiety. I'm like, well, if I just pivot, it'll go away. It'll go away. And this is this conversation is so illuminating and really why long distance was particularly hard for anxiety because, and I have a question for you about this, because I was like, you have to get better right now. It's like, what, the, what I'm trying to say here very, very clunkily is that what we resist persists, right? It's like, if you just let it pass and move through you, it's like an emotion, it does. But I was trying to fight it, fight it. And if I didn't need it, it's like in a car accident, they say, right? To like not tense up or you'll break all your bones. And I was, I was constantly tensing up. So in those situations where like, yes, it's obviously better to be kind to yourself and lay on the floor and just do what you need to do. But what happens where when you're on vacation and you have one day left or you're in an airport? Like when, what happens when you have to pivot out of it? I think, unfortunately, that – well, okay, let's back up for a second. I employ every fucking tool in my arsenal before I give up, so to speak, and, and let it quote unquote, move through me. Mm -hmm. So I am going to drink a lot of water. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to either take some CBD or calcium magnesium. I'm going to go for a walk. Uh, I'm going to try reading my book for a bit and take a bath. Like all things do, do my instant happy, whether that's like, you know, flop about for a bit, do a song. I don't know. But I will try everything. And a lot of times that works. Like if you make, take action instead of being like, I have one day left and I have to enjoy it. If you're like, all right, I have one day left. I feel fucking anxious. So I'm going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to do things that I know have worked in the past to help calm me down because Sometimes just the ritual of doing something that has worked in the past has that lovely placebo effect of working again. And it could actually be working or it could just be working Mm -hmm. because it's been ritualized by your brain. It's like, ah, you make the tea, the brain calms down. (laughs) (laughs) And who knows if it's what's in the cup or whether it's the act of filling the cup. I have no idea. But 
sometimes that really does help. And then if it doesn't, I'm like, you're just going to ride it out. And maybe this is a bad last day of vacation. And it's just one bad last day of vacation on hopefully many vacations in your life. And you don't really have control over it. And like, it seems really shitty now, but what is like one day in the rest of your life? I mean, this, not to make this all about long distance, but I think it (laughs) honestly was like the worst thing for, because I constantly lived in that. And it just speaks to my temperament of, I was so hard on myself and I was so embarrassed all the time of like, why now? Why now? Why now? That I just wouldn't. And, and I didn't know I hadn't had enough practice to know what tools work. And I didn't feel like, and I was just so frustrated that it was happening in the first place. And when it comes to talking about anxiety with others, it's like really with a romantic partner, I'm sure unless you have some, I'm sure it's different if you live at home with parents or if you have a boss you see every day, but at least for my situation, it doesn't really come up. My anxiety doesn't really come up with friends. I keep most people, it does sometimes if I'm spending a lot of time or I'm visiting someone, but I keep most people at my life at an arm's length and just, you're closest with your romantic partner. You're closest with the person, you're around them most frequently and, or close family members. And so it was really the only or the first relationship where this came up as something in my life. They Someone got close enough to me to see this. And so I just felt like I was such a monster for not being able to – we were having the same experience. Like I remember one time we were at a restaurant in the West Village, and I – ordered something I didn't want to order and it just spiraled (laughs) and he was trying to figure out what he was trying to ask me a question about like what was happening to help and I was just like backpedaling I was like no no no, it's fine and he was like but it's not I'm gonna help and I was like no it's fine I remember going to the bathroom and just being like having a pep talk with myself being like get it together pivot you have one day like just get it and I could I just couldn't like pivot from that point and I was just so hard on myself. And this conversation is illuminating of just like lean into it and it's okay. And you didn't, you didn't ruin the day, but also learn to, I, I, Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard started going to therapy like their third week of dating or something Yeah, because he said that it's easier to talk about these things early on in the relationship than to try to fix it when the patterns have already been made. I think that's true. But I, and I also think if you, just behave in ways like that with no explanation. The other person has no choice other than to think that that's just part of your personality versus having something to tangibly be like, oh, this isn't, you know, this is just an anxiety moment. This isn't necessarily who, like who you are all the time. Yeah. Or, you know, that you're just incredibly mercurial. It's like you actually are dealing with something that, and you said that you don't really talk to your friends about, or it doesn't really impact your relationships with your Mm -hmm. friends. I find that my anxiety doesn't impact my relationships with my friends, but I told them very early. I mean, I also have like an extremely tightly knit group Mm -hmm. of friends and it felt very strange to be sort of holding on to something that was having such a huge effect on my life and not tell them about it. But I think it was also really helpful because sometimes I'd be like, I'm not going to be able to participate in the rest of this dinner. I am anxious and I would like to go home. And like, yeah. then there was no judgment attached to that. Cause they're like, Oh, okay. Or occasionally like, you know, they would, if it was something that they could 
talk to me about than they would. But I also explained to them that oftentimes talking is really not helpful. And yeah. like now my friends do, and I love them so much. They do like really wonderful things. Like I had a very bad anxious spell a couple months ago. And like I, you know, had mentioned that reading really helps me. And so one of my best friends like brought over the, her favorite book that she had read recently and just like dropped it off. And it was, it's gestures like that that make me feel very secure in like my own, because like we've been talking about all day, like it can be very hard to not feel ashamed that yeah. we are like this. And as much as we can condition ourselves to be like, it's normal. I love myself. Like you would not be human if you didn't occasionally, like I now do not hate myself for my anxiety or ask, why are you like this all the time? But that I would be lying if I said that I never, you know, yeah. kicked myself in the proverbial shins and was like, get it the fuck together. Yeah, You know, it's, it's impossible to ever stop doing that. But I do think that talking about it with my friends and my family and with Logan so openly and having them accept me and love me the same amount does quiet that voice in my head that's always like, this makes you weird or damaged and people are not yeah. going to love you as much because you're acting like a quote-unquote crazy person. Yeah. And that's, it's just really validating to have that consistent, like, Support. Support. Yeah. Well, this is my question for you then of like when and the reason why I brought up that Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell thing is because he did that early because yeah. it's hard to break patterns. And I think I'd gotten into patterns with with Nick uh, that were challenging to break because I didn't have the language. I didn't know what was going on when it came to my eating disorder. I said that to him right off the bat. So he knew he did research and he like knew how to spot the signs of eating disorder and how to talk to someone with an eating disorder and how to like all of these things that were really great. But with anxiety, it was a whole nother animal that I didn't know at the time was even an animal that I was caging, you know? Like, yeah. I didn't know what I was dealing with. So my question for you, for myself and people listening is like, and for next time for me, when to bring this in? Like when to, cause I was so, Nerd. Like, I'm glad I talked about the eating disorder up front. I wish I'd talked about this up front. So then it, then you don't have to feel so embarrassed about what's happening because you're like on the same page and you're not comparing yourself. I think the, er I, I think the earlier, the better. I don't think you have to drop it on the first date, but I think if it's somebody that you're considering being in a serious relationship with, whenever you realize that this is something more than a casual fling, I think it's, something to bring up and it doesn't need to be like Do you have a script for this there's <laughs> something i need to tell you like, it's not a dark dirty secret it's just like hey and i think it's things that come up naturally in conversation when you react to certain things i somehow now manage to drop my anxiety into casual conversation all the time so i think like it's like pretty easy even to be driving yeah. in a car and you know, the radio comes on too loudly while you're driving. You're like, can you turn that off? It like really makes me anxious when I'm yeah. driving and there's loud music on, which is a weird, like that's not something I feel anxious about. But that's a perfect example of that happening. Or I mean, the I get really anxious in crowds. So like that would be if you're crossing a busy street in Times Square, be like, ooh, <laughs> 
crowds like this, big anxiety trigger. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be a super serious sad conversation yeah. Again, like, like I'm also this podcast not, and yeah like we're not super serious or no. sad people we're just people with anxiety yeah <laughs> and I think like I I had that down and I talked about my eating disorder I'm like I can somehow make that funny like yes. I can somehow be like it's insane that I like can't choose between avocado toast and eggs or like, you know, like it can be really funny that like something so simple as like a complicated calculus problem in my mind. And it's the same thing. It's like, this is so funny that I'm spiraling over this thing or that I feel anxious about nothing. Like it's actually pretty funny that people can go through life without this. And for me, it's so such a big thing. It's also sometimes really sad and yes. really annoying, but like you don't have to lead with that. I think, no. I, I think there's a way to to talk about I, it. I completely agree. And I think that that's actually like a perfect place. Like, I think we just tied that with a nice bow yeah. and I want to leave it there. Yeah. Like, Although when I am dating a new person, I'm probably going to need a lot more coaching and yes. like a specific script cool. from you. So great. <laughs> <laughs> that will be published as an ebook. Great. It'll be available for download in the show notes. <laughs> On to our next segment. Yes. High, higher, highest. Do you want to start? I love this game. You start. Okay. So this was an excellent week. So I have very good Great. high, higher, highest. Um, I would say that my high was, I did this panel last night for my friend Liz Moody's book launch. And we just had a really good, funny, honest, semi-irreverent conversation about wellness and health and happiness and food. And it was really just a wonderful hour of my week. And I left feeling that just sort of high. Yeah, that, that exactly. I left feeling very high. Uh, my higher, I would say is, Ooh, this is a tough call. Cause I was going to say that was my highest. It's hard to rate them. It's very, it is very hard. I would say that my higher is that I got a lot of sun this week because I went to Jamaica on She's glowing. spring break. And I was, <laughs> I really needed that vitamin D. I think I don't notice how much the doom and gloom and cold of winter affects me until I'm in the sun again. And then I'm like, it's a whole new world. And <laughs> So that was definitely my higher. And then my highest was really just spending quality time with good friends of ours in Jamaica. And we had like a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. And it was lovely. Hmm. I love all of that. Okay. Mine high was, oh, this is a good update from okay. last week. My spiral was that someone wasn't texting me back yes. and I had made so much meaning out of it. <laughs> and then like I left here and I got this very comforting text yes. from a friend that just like instantly was like butter, like going down. What is that? Now, did you see a shopaholic? Yes. I don't even like yes. like that movie. But I remember her saying something. She walked in a store and it felt like smooth butter or something. And like <laughs> that's what like getting it felt like a massage for my mind getting that text. So that was comforting. And then a hire, I I saw a movie and I just and I had brunch and I we had a really nice sunny day here on Sunday and I walked mm -hmm. to the bridge. I walked like eleven miles by accident in New York, which is like the most fun when you're just like in a bunch of neighborhoods and you're just like I didn't do any work and I wasn't on my computer or phone. I was just seeing different people and ate good food and went to the movies and that was lovely. And then my highest is I 
took this writing class, which I think I maybe talked about. And I'm so happy that I did. It gave, we were talking about this, I think, before we started recording. And we talked about it last week a little bit too, which is that when you have a creative focus and for Serena, when she was younger in school, her creative focus was academics and, and it made her less anxious because she had somewhere to channel that. And for me, if I have a creative project that I'm working on, I don't get overwhelmed of like my anxiety doesn't go into what am I doing? What am I doing? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's going here. And I had that with this writing class and it just reminded me how much I need that. And so I'm really, you know, even when you feel like you don't have time for something or I can't take this on right now, take, do the creative thing Love because that. it helps. Preach. Yeah. Shall we disclaim? We shall. We, are we doctors? We are most definitely not (laughs) doctors. We are also not mental health professionals or experts of any kind. (laughs) We are just two friends. Two anxious friends. Sharing our experiences. Strongly encouraging you to seek a professional because we love therapists. We love therapy. A lot in this family. And you're part of our family and we think you probably would too. Yes. And remember... If you're spiraling, you are not alone. You are not weird or damaged or crazy. And you don't owe anyone an explanation for your mental health. And don't be embarrassed. I think that's the theme of this episode because it just makes it worse. I tend to overly apologize and nothing good comes from that. So anyway, we love you. And we love you. Okay, bye.